Welcome to Providence Road on this last Sunday of spring break. Good to see some of you back that weren't here last week because of the break. Um, Yeah, welcome to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If I have not met you before, we are really, really glad that you're here and honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning worshiping with us. If you are a guest with us, um, under every other chair, there's a guest card, and that has basic information about the church. And at the bottom of that, there's a uh, place where we can tear it off. If you put your name in your email, if you prefer email, if you prefer text, put your phone number and, and make sure you let us know that you prefer text. And we will follow up with you um, to help you get connected to the church, um, to pray for you if that's what you would like. Um, and you will for sure get on our newsletter list and um, <clears throat> find out more about what's happening in the church from week to week. Um, and if you, after you tear that off, um, if you fill that out, you can put them at one of the offering boxes there at these two exits and this exit over here. You just drop that in there and uh, we will get that. Um, if you are uh, been here at Providence for a while, um, since this is a new building, continue to kind of orient people to the building. The, the boxes, um, there are the three offering boxes, two at the door, one on this side. If you feel led to give, um, that is where you give your tithes and your offerings. A few announcements before we get started. Um, we've mentioned this the last couple of weeks, but we are having a f- food drive for Norman Public Schools in the event that there is a teacher walkout on April 2nd. Okay? We still have plenty of a- back here in the corner. There's a board you can pull off a piece of paper and uh, you go shopping for those things. Uh, it's providing food for kids that normally would have lunch provided by the schools, but um, if the walkout happens, Kids that really need and count on those lunches will not get those. And so we're partnering with three Title I schools to make sure that kids um, at risk have enough to eat on those days if indeed there is a walkout. So um, one note about that, um, we have to have all of that stuff by this Tuesday. So um, in the past, we're having it mailed, but you can't mail that and shop online anymore. Uh, But you can still bring those to the church through Tuesday, okay? So um, there are boxes back here in the back. And so find uh, one of the leaders if you know you want to bring something Monday or Tuesday, and we can figure out how, make sure that the doors are open for you to come and put that in there. Um, Along with this, um, there's another opportunity that has presented itself. Um, During that first week, April 2nd to April 6th, um, kids are going to be out of school if this happens. And so uh, some parents can't take off work to care for their kids. So if, if there's nobody, um, what are the kids gonna do if there's no parents at home, if they still have to go to work and the kids don't go to school? So to provide um, kind of an answer to that issue, um, we're a part of many other organizations that are looking to find about 175 volunteers to work in four-hour shifts, so eight hours total over the course of, of those five days, to um, just show up and provide an environment to, for kids to still have fun, learn, play, um, do all those things just to be with the kids, to have adult supervision during those times. So if that interests you at all, we want to help. We want to be a part of providing that 175, uh, uh, part of that, that volunteer base. And so if, if that, any of that interests you and you have four hours in your schedule, April 2nd to April 6th, Monday through Friday, go out to the, the foyer and there's a computer open. Somebody will be out there to help you sign up. There's a sign up form online and it's really easy if you want to be a part of that, okay? So just let us know by going out there, and, you, and somebody out there will help you kind of navigate through that. Next, uh, Connect Lunch, if you're new, you've only been here a few times, want to meet some of the leadership, hear more about the church, April 8th, um, sorry, go back to that, yeah, April 8th, um, that will be after the service. So on April 8th, just hang out. Um, after the service, and we'll get everybody together. Those are for people who maybe have only been here once or twice um, and want to know more about the church. Next, on April 15th, we are having our Baptism Sunday. Baptism Sunday. This is one of the best Sundays of the year for Providence Road. Um, But before April 15th, if you know you want to get baptized, or even if you're just thinking about getting baptized, we have a baptism class just about 30 minutes where we'll run through what baptism is, what our view of baptism is, what's going to happen on the 15th. That'll be on April 8th, but that's before the service. So 930, 
April 8th, there's a baptism class, and we, we need you to sign up for that just so we can get an idea of who's getting baptized on the 15th. So there's a computer open with a sign-up form for that baptism class out in the foyer as well. Somebody will be out there to help you walk through that form if you need it as well. Okay, Good Friday. This coming Friday is Good Friday, the Friday before Easter. We are having something here at the church from 6.30 to 7.30. We are partnering with Redeemer Church here in Norman, uh, friends of ours who we've done many things with over the years. So 6.30 to 7.30, Good Friday. Um, invite you to come and kind of uh, set kind of the tone in your life for Easter. It's a really meaningful event, really focused on the cross, because that's what Good Friday is about, is the cross. So we'll do that Good Friday, and then obviously April 1st. Next Sunday, it's Easter Sunday. We encourage you to invite your friends, your family. Um, Easter's obviously a huge day in the life of a church, but Easter is still a holiday that is recognized in, in, our, in our culture at large. And so people want to do things on Easter. So give them a place to go on Easter. Sunday morning, 1030, same time, same place. Um, invite them here. We would love to see um, new people on um, Easter Sunday. Lastly, uh, this week we'll be back to Wednesday nights, 8 to 10, out in the foyer. It's college hangout. Come connect with other college students, um, study, play games, whatever. We just want to uh, provide an open space for you to connect with other college students. Okay, let me read the text we're going to work through today, and then we will jump in. We have a lot to cover today. Genesis 2, starting in verse 15, we'll go through the end of the chapter. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the, in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to the every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. This is God's word. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this creation account and allowing us to see how all this began to see what your purpose was behind creation, and the fact that you wanted to reveal yourself um, to the earth. Therefore, you created everything, including us. We thank you for your word, that you still speak through it, that your spirit is active through the word and in our hearts. And this morning, as we read the word, I pray that we would see it as your words and that we would um, at least for the next 30 minutes or so, kind of put ourselves under your word and truly be open to understanding it and wrestling with it where it deserves to be wrestled with and praying for understanding if that's what we need to do. I just pray that we would see the word as your words. It's your revelation of yourself to us, and we th we're thankful for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're continuing on in our series, walking through the book of Genesis, and we are finishing up chapter two today. So next week, we'll be on to chapter three. And I know many of you were not here last week, so I want to I frame this up a little bit because this week is connected to last week. So let me help you kind of catch you up to what we're going to get into today. So we looked at, for the last several weeks, that we have a, a good and holy and righteous God who is our creator. He creates, he created us as human beings in his image. This means that male and female both have equal value and dignity and worth. 
And being in the image of God gives us a special place amongst creation. So much so that he gives us a task as human beings to be, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and also to have, have dominion over the earth and rule it. This is the, the cultural mandate that we called it that we looked at a few weeks ago. All human beings have this mandate on their life as it relates to God. And we're given this mandate to, to, to live out. And the, the earth should flourish under the stewardship that God has given us. So the earth should flourish from the fact that we are being fruitful and multiplying and subduing it and ruling over it. And then last week, we look, kind of continue that on to look at not only what does man's relationship look like with the rest of creation, but what does man's relationship look like with each other? So what, how does humanity interact with one another? And we looked at this statement um, that God said that it wasn't good for man to be alone. It's not good that man should be alone, God says in Genesis 2. And we looked at this as it relates to loneliness last week. Like, that we were made for human connection. It's kind of the, the overall kind of um, gist of last week. Uh, and I do think Genesis 1 and 2 are ideally, they're addressing marriage. But I think there are other implications outside of marriage, and that's what we touched on last week. And that's Genesis 1 and 2. We know in Genesis 3, sin comes into the world, and things are not, they're, they're broken, they're messed up, they're, they're not the way they're supposed to be. And things go terribly wrong. And so everything that we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is fractured and broken as a result of sin. So much so that last week we looked at when, when Paul, one of the leaders in the early church, says in one of his letters, 1 Corinthians, he says that it's actually better off maybe if you didn't marry. Like the world is so broken and human beings are so broken that he says in this place that it may be better off if you don't get married. And he wasn't married. And we know that Jesus wasn't married in the way we see marriage. And so I spoke to singles a little bit last week and I said that you're in good company because Paul was not married, Jesus was not married, and there's nothing wrong with being single. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with being single. And if you wanna uh, know more about that, we took, a, again, a deeper dive last week, so I encourage you to go back to that sermon and listen to it if you want to know more about loneliness and singleness and some of those things. Um, but I do think Genesis 2 is primarily thinking about marriage when it talks about the creation of man and woman. So that's where we're going to spend our time today. And we're dealing with man and woman. We have to talk about well, what is man and what is woman. God says we created, created man and woman. Well, what is a man? What is a woman? And there are a lot of tangents when talking about men and women and marriage that we could chase, but for the sake of time, we can't chase all those things. We're going to stay pretty general um, and, and touch on some of these issues, but we're not going to really dive deep into any of them. But here's what we are going to do. In light of some of the reading we've been doing, we feel like at some point soon, we need to talk through some of these issues as a church. And so in the fall, maybe a sermon series maybe through seminars or classes or other resources, we're going to address some of these topics in a li little bit more of a deeper level. So it's coming. If you're wanting to know more and you're wanting to go deeper, then that stuff is coming. But um, if you want to talk about anything I say today that uh, at, a, at a deeper level and you want to have a conversation about that, please email me. Please email me. Ask any questions. We can meet. Whatever it is, um, it's jeremy at provro.org. And I want you to feel the freedom to email me because I know we're not going to get deep enough for some of these issues potentially for you. So here's the question I want to kind of uh, kick this off with. If a seven-year-old boy came up to you and he asked, what does it mean to be a man? How would you answer him? Like, could, could, you, could you answer him kind of in a clear and a distinct way that he would understand. What about a woman? What about a girl? I mean, a seven-year-old girl comes up and asks the same question, but what does it mean to be a woman? Would you be able to answer her? And I, I think these are important questions and, and, and maybe questions that once we start thinking about how we are going to explain them, I think sometimes we 
maybe lose some words. We can't figure out, well, how do we actually explain this to someone else? And, and if we have trouble explaining it to a, a, a child who we're supposed to help navigate the world about who they are, what they were made to be, and answer these questions that they have, if we can't help them, then what does that say about our definitions and what we think a man and a woman should be? And, and I realize that in, in our day and age, gender is a difficult issue to navigate and, and everything that comes along with that. But I want us to just have confidence and know that the Bible speaks directly to gender issues. It does. It, and so we can have confidence and we can attempt to learn and understand and know what the Bible has to say about these things. But because we live in a world that is broken and messed up and not the way it ought to be, once we take what the Bible says and start working that out in the life of human beings that are broken, then it can become very complicated and difficult to navigate. And so I just want to throw that out there and realize that this, these are some tough issues. Once we take the Bible and say, how does this look in our world? And what is this, you know, how does this play out? So we want to be confident in what the Bible has to say, but we also want to use wisdom and a pastoral tone and touch when we're talking about these things. I'm going to do that today, and I encourage you to kind of make that the way you handle these issues moving forward. So God wants to display his glory. He wants to reveal himself through humanity to the rest of the world, and he gives us these two things. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion over the world. Rule it, okay? That's what Genesis 1 and 2 primarily has been about. He creates man and woman with this sense of equality, with this sense of, of sameness, but he also makes men and women different so that they would complement each other to fulfill this task that God has given all of humanity. So we see in Genesis 2, that passage we read, that God creates man and he looks at him and he says, it's not good that man should be alone. He would cause Adam to go to sleep. He would take a rib from Adam and he would, he would fashion, he would build Eve from that bone. This is how Eve came to be. It's interesting that Eve came from, um, was fashioned from a, a bone out of a human body and Adam was made from the dirt, the ground, okay? Interesting way that those two were created. God explicitly says, Adam, you were made from the dust, the dirt, and Eve was made from the bone of, of Adam. In Genesis 2, 23, let's look at it. Adam says, this, he, he wakes up, he sees Eve. Sees Eve, he wakes up, and there she is. God has made her. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, leading up to this verse, God has paraded animals in front of Adam. He's paraded animals. It's just Adam. He parades them in front of Adam. He says, name him, Adam. He says, this is a giraffe. This is a, in his language, obviously he wasn't speaking English here, but in, in his language, he was, he was speaking what these animals were to be. This is an elephant. This is the job he gave Adam, okay? And the scripture says that Adam, it seems like, after this was happening, he says there, there, was, there was nothing, there was no one fit for him. There was no one like him. There was no one that shared his humanness in a way that was going to complement him. And it seems like, and the scripture doesn't really give us an answer here, but it seems like this is, this is a reaction that God was trying to get Adam to have. Therefore, he kind of parades these animals in front of him to show Adam there's, there's nothing created yet that fits you. Nothing created yet that fits you. And then Adam causes to sleep, causes him to sleep, wakes up. There Eve is standing there. And Adam breaks out in this song. It's the first song in the scripture. It's the first poem in the scripture. Imagine what Adam is feeling. Wakes up. He's naked. No shame. It's not weird being waking up naked. Now that would be kind of weird, waking up from somewhere naked. We don't know where you are, but like at this point, it's, it's not weird. Adam wakes up, he's naked and unashamed, and he has never seen another human being before, but he's for sure never seen another woman before, and she's naked as well. 
So he wakes up, and, and you can almost feel, and, and the Hebrew gets at this much more than the English does in if you, the original language, but this, it's, he just breaks out here. It's like he just over, overflows with emotion when he says, at last. Like, I've been waiting for this. Like, she is like me. She's a human, but she's different, and she's different in a really, really good way. You know, that's what, that's what Adam's saying here. He's saying she's the same as me, but she's also different from him. So in one sense, human beings are all the same. We're all image bearers. We're all equal in dignity and value in God's eyes. And Genesis 1, um, the directive to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion over it, Genesis 1 gives another um, different angle on the creation story um, because we see a little bit of this in Genesis 1 already. But in Genesis 1, um, it says he's made male and female, and then he gives them the cultural mandate. So both male and female are given the mandate to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. Both male and female are given that task. And before we get into the differences of male and female, we have to realize that, that there is a, there is a sameness to male and female. They're both given this task that we call the cultural mandate. Let's look at Genesis 1.27. Go back to the last chapter briefly. So God created man in his own image. That's really human when it says man. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, very clear here. We don't need to overcomplicate what the Bible says here. It's clear that he makes a man and he makes a woman. Male and female. So how do we relate to one another now? This is, the, this is where we kind of transition. How does this work? They're different. How does it work? And often the question that should come to mind is, what would happen if there was just one gender? And he could have done that. Like he could have, God could have done anything he wanted to. He could have made one gender, and everybody looks alike. Everybody's kind of the same. There's no distinction. But if we trace that back, it, it would, they wouldn't have complemented one another to fulfill the task he gave them. So what are the differences that the Bible, I think, speaks to when it talks about men and women? And there, there are two ground rules I want to lay, and I think these would be really helpful, because I think whenever this comes up, even I feel myself getting a little bit like, uh, just in, some angst builds up when, we, when I hear like, gender being talked about in the culture or in media or wherever it is. So I think there's, there's a lot, probably many more, but two things that will help us as we have this conversation and really other conversations as well. But first, we must differentiate between general and absolute statements. Between general and absolute statements. Here's what I mean. Let's just take the, the, the statement, men are physically stronger than women. Men are physically stronger than women. Now, in general, if you look at statistics, numbers across the board of any culture, of any time, of any place, Overall, in general, men have always been a little bit taller than women, probably weigh a little bit more than women, and in, a, in, t- in tests you give, could give out, physically stronger than women. That's a general statement. And, and that's true. But if you're, you're talking about that in a general sense. But if you were saying that, that when you're saying if men are stronger, physically stronger than women, if that's what you're saying and you mean that every single man in the world is stronger than every single female in the world, then that's wrong, because that's an absolute statement. Okay, so there's a general statement, what's generally true? And then there's an absolute statement of saying that all men everywhere are always stronger than women. That statement is false. So when we talk about these things, we have to understand in our mind before we respond, is this a general statement or is this a absolute statement? Okay, um, and that goes for anything, really, any, not just gender, but anything else. What's a, what, is this a general statement or is it an absolute statement? So that's the first one. The second one, I think, is, is, is one that as I've studied this, I, I didn't really realize this was happening, but I think it makes a lot of sense, is we shouldn't start with men as the template. Now, follow me here. A lot of arguments and things I've read from a, uh, kind of from a feminist point of view will start with, well, this is what a man is, and they will build what a woman is in reaction to what a man is. So they're defining women or who a woman is 
based off of well, who a man is. So it's, 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 well, this is a man, and therefore all these things for there, therefore should be true of a woman. And that's a very reactive way, and I think a, 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 not a great way to define what a woman is. Not a great way, not a biblical way to define what a woman is either. Now, on the other side, the same thing happens, okay? Maybe uh, cultures and, and, and different pockets of people who, who don't value women, who think women are not as valuable as men, they will use the same thing. They will take men and say, here's what a man is, and then women are everything that a man's not. Or it's kind of feeling like that women get kind of the scraps of who a man is. And obviously that is not biblical, and that is very unhelpful as well. This is why it's so important to know that God said, I've created a man and I've created a woman. So when we're defining the two things, we don't start with one gender and define the other one off, off of that one. We define females the way the Bible defines females. And we define males the way the Bible defines males. And I think just sometimes as we start talking and thinking about these things, it becomes a very reactive, depending on what, if we're talking about men or women, very reactive in how we explain and try to define um, what a man and a woman is, okay? Now, I think these differences play out regardless if you're in a, married or not. However, I think they're sometimes they're most clearly seen in the context of a marriage. And I do think Genesis 1 and 2, when it talks about Adam and Eve, I do think that the kind of one of the primary principles is marriage. So we're going to spend most of our time moving forward talking about uh, these differences in the context of a marriage, okay? So differences. I'm going to just cover two for the sake of time. What, what are the differences the Bible speaks to regarding men and women? And I think there's probably a handful, maybe even up to 10, of specific differences the Bible gives for men and women and how he created them different. Okay, so for the sake of time, I'm just going to cover two. First off, physically. Okay, this is very straightforward. Physically, and I've talked a little bit about physical strength already, but physically, Men are different than women. If we just look at the two, then we see there is a difference involved in that. Okay? And if you talk about, I didn't PG-13 this before, let you know that before we came in, but um, so I'll talk knowing that there may be uh, kids out there. So, um, so reproductive organs, okay? Um, if you notice this, obviously different, but the, the, man, the man's reproductive organs are external. They're external from his body, okay? They're outward, okay? And females' reproductive organs are inside. They're internal, okay? Even the womb, okay? The womb, the kind of the sacred place where life um, kind of begins and life, those first stages of life happen, the womb, something sacred. It's inside a female's body. And the male has kind of nothing to do with the womb, Maybe a little bit at the beginning, but that's it, okay? And so there, even, even the, the internal and external and, and how um, the physical bodies, like women were, were made to, to, their bodies were made to be primary bearers of children, okay? From the womb to how uh, babies get milk. Like men don't have those. Men could not keep a baby alive in that way. So there are just some basic things if you just stop and ask, well, why are men and women created like this? You can just tease that out a little bit and see that there, there are distinctions here. There are differences, okay? And we, this is, you see this in movies and stories and even um, accounts from just everyday life that, you know, men kind of were, or when, when there's danger, men kind of step to the forefront, when a theater shooting a few years ago in Colorado, it was kind of well documented that there were three couples at this theater, and none of them were married, but they were all couples. And in all three scenarios, the, the male, they jumped on top of their girlfriends, shielding them from bullets. All three of them died. The three women survived with some injuries, but they all survived. And they were lauded, they were called heroes, they sacrificed their lives for these women who they were, they were with that night, and we applaud that. And I think there's something instinctual to a man that is a protector, that is a provider. And it's not because, again, don't define 
Don't define female on what I just said, that the females are not strong. That's not what I'm saying. Males are strong, and they're meant to protect and to provide. Why? Because females are to be cherished. They carry life inside of them. They need to be protected so future generations can happen. This is why traditionally you let protect the women and children. The men step up and be willing to lay down their life for women and children. So there are these physical differences. And we could go on and on and talk about physical differences, but primarily um, physically, okay? And I talked, got into the second one a little bit. So the second one, there's this distinction between um, garter or protector or keeper for men and then helper for women, okay? Now, we defined helper a little bit last week. I'll get to that here in a second, but let's look at the, the man here first. Genesis 2, 15. Let's look at it. This is before Eve was created. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. To work and to keep. Those are phrases that are also used of the Levitical priests in the Old Testament as they were guarding and protecting the temple. The temple was a sacred place. That's where the presence of God existed. And these, these priests were given the responsibility for protecting it, to, to manage it, to make sure things are happening the way they should happen there. Okay, there's, I don't think it's any accident that this language is being used for Adam here when he was created. Let's look at Genesis 2, 18, speaking about Eve. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. I, want to, I talked about this last week. I want to cover it again because I think it's important. Um, the helper here is really an unhelpful translation um, of this actual word. It's very unhelpful, okay? This does not mean that women walk around waiting hand and foot on men, serving them drinks, being just objects of their desire so they can go out and, and make big decisions and conquer the world. That is not what this word means. So don't see helper in the English here and, see, and, and define it like that. That's not what it means. This, this Actually, this word means... Um, it's, it mean, it, it, uh, it's um, pronounced in Hebrew, Azar, and it's used in the Bible almost every other time to describe God himself. So when the psalmist say, God, you are my helper and my rock in, every, in, 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 in all my needs, that, that's talking about, it's the same word here. So the psalmist is talking about God as his helper. And that's the majority of how this word is used in the Old Testament. Okay, one commentator said that it's really providing what is lacking in the one who needs help. The example I gave last week is a parent is a helper to their kids when it comes to homework. Now, the only way a parent can help a child with their homework is if the parent knows more than the kid. The parent is better equipped to actually help the child do the homework. Now, it's always done in a way that's going to empower the child the parent doesn't take over the homework. The, the parent comes alongside and helps the child complete the task because the child is incapable, potentially, of doing that homework, okay? So the helper here is not a derogatory or a devalued term. Like somehow, sometimes I think we see it and maybe even it's defined in our culture, okay? So we don't, the parent there doesn't take the responsibility away from the child. They empower the child. This is what this idea of help means. Okay, God is our helper in, 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 our, in our times of need, it says other places, especially in the psalm. Another quick fact about kind of the role of females and the difference here is that when, um, after sin comes into the world and, and God is talking to Satan, the serpent, and, he's, and he kind of gives that kind of future prophecy of what's going to happen, he says to the woman, he says, your, uh, your descendant, your seed, the snake is going to bite the heel of your descendant, but your descendant will crush the head of the serpent, will crush the head of the snake. He's going to be a snake crusher, okay? He says that to the woman. He says that to Eve. The promise of the gospel comes through the woman. And we see that in the descendants all the way down to Mary when she gives birth to Jesus, so the promise of the gospel, the promise of, of eternal life is actually pronounced through the woman, not the man. Adam doesn't get that. Adam doesn't, is not in that prediction. 
it, the, the, uh, God uses she and her uh, um, talking specifically about Eve. Okay, So that's another thing that we often miss in the distinctions between men and women. Now, men and women are different, like I said, to complement each other. To complement each other. Um, without, without women, if you just have men, how in the world is the be fruitful and multiply thing going to happen? That's the task given. It's not going to happen without a woman. Okay, that's the, there's a complementary there in all sorts of other areas, but that's the obvious one. Okay, life won't continue. Life is not going to be nourished. The earth is not going to be filled with image bearers. Okay, so that is part of the compliment that a, that a woman brings. And then a man brings, how is, how is life going to continue without a man? The, the protection, the providing, some of these other things, as Genesis lays them out, those things may not happen. So again, these two, they complement one another. If they didn't, there would be no need to have two. Why make two genders? Just make one and make it simple. But God chose to make two genders that complement one another to fulfill the task he's given humanity. Now, to kind of get a little bit more specific, marriage. How does this play out in marriage? Okay, um, We're going to look at Ephesians 5. And Ephesians 5, it's the, it's the kind of popular passage of Christ in the church. It's very helpful because it's very specific. He says, husbands this, wives this. Now, before verse 22, where most Bibles divide in talking about this relationship between Christ and the church, before that, Paul is talking to the church at large in Ephesians 5, that chapter, and he's talking about giving them different commands, different things, how to have a healthy church, all of these things. And he ends that section of talking, of, talking to men and women in the church with verse 21. And verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he punctuates that section with that verse, meaning as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are all to submit to one another, all to submit to one another. That, pre that precedes Ephesians 5, 22. Okay, so we can't really understand what's a, what he's about to say without first understanding as brothers and sisters of, in Christ, men and women are to submit to one another in that way. Okay, so let's read the rest of that, those 12 verses or so here. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That's from Genesis, quote, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So in verse 22, Paul gives this metaphor of Christ and the church. And in light of this metaphor, he spends the first three verses there basically telling wives, submit to your husbands. But then he follows this with six verses to the husbands, telling the husbands to lay down their lives for their wives as Christ laid down his life for the church, okay? Now, I'm about to get specific here to husbands and then to wives. So here's, here's the ground rules, those of you who are married, okay? This is not a time to elbow one another. This is not a time to use this as ammunition in your conflicts with your husband and wife. I'm serious, don't use it that way. You're not your spouse's Holy Spirit, <clears throat> okay? They have the Holy Spirit, and he's better than you. So, so again, just this is, I'm talking to, I'll be talking to husbands, and then I will I'll talk to wives. You notice in this metaphor that Christ is the initiator. In all of our theology, all everything we say, Christ comes to save humanity, comes to save sinners. He initiates. We couldn't do anything ourselves. We're incapable. So Christ lays down his life for sinners, okay? So when, so now talking to men, okay, this isn't, talking about traditional roles. 
This does, whether you work and your wife stays home, whether your wife works or you stay home, whether you guys both work and someone else is involved raising your kids, the Bible doesn't speak to that stuff, okay? That's not what this is talking about, okay? What the Bible does address here in this metaphor is that you men are the husband, they're the servant leaders of your family. You're the servant leaders of your family because that's what Jesus was. He was a servant. He laid his life down for be, on behalf of people who didn't deserve it, okay? And this is an active role, not a passive role, okay? You can make a lot of money. You can have a big-time job. You can be active as all get out in all these traditional men's roles. But if you are passive at home, you are not fulfilling your calling here. So, or you can be a, a untraditional, maybe stay-at-home dad. Maybe it's seen something, why? I don't know, but maybe passive. But you're called to be active. It doesn't matter whether you're, you take an active role in leading your home in the way Jesus did as a servant, okay? And taken back to Genesis, part of that is we guard and we protect our family. We guard and protect our family, okay? That doesn't mean you have to do all of this. But what it does mean, you need to initiate because Jesus initiated with us. So you take initiative in your home as men. How, some, some, how, how does this play out? Some specifics. Is your family protected? I don't mean just physically protected. Is it financially protected? Not wealthy, not rich, but protected. Are, are, is, your, is your emotional state of your house protected? Is spiritually, are y'all protected? Is your relationship with your wife healthy? Emotionally? Physically, do you, for example, do y'all, are you, do y'all date consistently as husband and wife? Do you give her undivided attention? Do you have a plan of development for your children, especially spiritually? Are you thinking about their development? Are you, are you looking out ahead and saying, this is how I'm going to protect, this is how I'm going to guard my family by being proactive in some of these things? And there could be, there could be many other things as well. And again, none of us are perfect here. None of us are perfect. But what this is, hopefully this is bringing up some stuff where maybe you need to get some help. Maybe you need to talk to some other guys in the church and say, hey, you know what? That thing you said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm hurting here. I don't know how to do this. Okay? And, and th- again, th- I'm, not, th- I'm not talking about some, not being the traditional, like, kind of, uh, I don't know, somehow men come off as we're supposed to be this, like, meat-headed dudes who pound our chest and Watch MMA. Like, if, if that's not you as a dude, the Bible doesn't tell you to be that, okay? So this, like, machismo stuff of men, if, hopefully you're not getting that from this. When I say a servant leader, look at Jesus. Not a lot macho about Jesus, okay? Now, for me, just to be really honest, like, you know, conviction this week for me, um, I, um, I love to think about the church, I love to vision and plan and dream about the church, but how often do I plan and dream about how I'm going to romance Nicole? Like, do I spend as much effort on thinking ahead about Nicole as I do about the church? And for me, date night. Like, I, I'm good at having date night. We, I, I, I've been told over and over by guys, you gotta have a date night, which I do that once a week. We make that happen but so often, I'm planning date night at noon that day. Instead of actually putting effort into it and thinking, how could I, how, what would be really meaningful to Nicole tonight? What, what could I do a month out ahead of time to set this up and be really special for her? I did it when we were dating. But am I doing it as a husband in marriage? And this week, I felt like, oh, like I, I, I need to actually think ahead like I would about the church because she's more important than the church. So why am I not giving that same effort to her? So men, if you're with me, then if, that, if that's you, let's help each other. Let's be creative. Let's come up with ways we can do that better as servant leaders. Ladies, um, just to, and, and that's a process with Nicole last night because it, 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 I don't want to be the man telling you what to do here. So I process with her. And, and got her opinion on these things. Um, are, are you a life-giving presence in your home? Are you a source of encouragement for your husband? Okay. Are you helping him in the sense of 
standing with him and encouraging him as you two together accomplish what God's called you to do? Are you helping him do that? Are you standing shoulder to shoulder with him in, in, in an encouraging way instead of maybe a, a critical way? Um, the next one I have, are, are, you, are, you, are you consistently being critical of your husband and a source of negativity? Very simple. Are you a more of an encouraging positive presence to your, towards your husband or are you critical and negative towards your husband? Um, are, you a, are you patient in allowing him to grow in the areas I just mentioned? It's not going to happen overnight. The metaphor, unfortunately, we are, we are striving and we're called to be Jesus in the metaphor, but if you are looking to be married to Jesus, you're going to be disappointed because your, your husband is not Jesus. And maybe that's only for those of you who've been married a week, but maybe, maybe he didn't mess up on the honeymoon and you still think he's Jesus, but it's coming. So, okay, your husband's not Jesus, okay? So, like, be patient. Be patient with him, okay? Especially as he starts trying some of these things. How do you respond when he leads in little ways? When he does some little things, maybe that aren't the big things that you're wanting him to do, but he's trying. He's leading in, in little ways. Are you encouraging him in those ways and not so focused on this one thing that you forget to encourage him and, and respect him in that way in this area? Um, I'm guessing all husbands in this room are doing some little things that you can be encouraging to him about. Um, and I was trying to think of, of, of an, a practical thing here, and here, here's what I'm going to throw out, and I'm going like, to say this is homework, okay? Um, I would encourage you all to do this quick exercise, okay? Allow some time for it, but husbands, you initiate this. You, you initiate this. Sit down, look at your wife's eyeballs, look face-to-face, and say um, it's really two questions. First off, what are some areas that you feel like God is using, using me to benefit our family? Kind of what am I doing well, but the Spirit's inside of us, so we're going to give him credit. So what are, what are two things that I'm doing well to lead you? Ladies, it's time to encourage. Give him, tell him where he's doing well. And then, husbands, get ready for this, because you know you're going to ask this. Lovely, beloved, how can I do a better job? What are some areas that you would like to see God mature me in, grow me in, to love you better? to be a better servant leader for you. Guys, ask those two questions, initiate it. Ladies, um, now it's your turn. You flip the script. Ladies now, to the husband, how, how, you know, how am I doing as a wife in, in, in our marriage? And let him speak. Now, be ready and plan this out because this is, this is kind of gentle critique, but you're creating a space for it. Do it on a date maybe, go to a nice dinner, whatever it is, like create a space where you can actually talk about these things. You have to communicate how each other's doing because you need to know, hey, we have blind spots. How are we gonna, how are we gonna work through this? And then you can come up with a plan. And I wanna say this and then I'll close. Um, I know when this comes up, talk about gender, there are people potentially even here that are struggling with gender identity stuff. Maybe there's some confusion Maybe there's some dysphoria when it comes to gender. And to you, if that's you in here, find someone to process with, okay? Find someone to process with. Like, come talk to me. We want this to be a safe place for you to, to be confused to, to, about, about gender and not understand and, and the feelings that you create. There, there could be a lot of reasons why. And we want to be listeners, if that is you. Now, to those of you who know someone who's struggling with this, here's what I'm telling you to do. Like, listen. Get to know them. What's their story? What's their upbringing? How were they raised? Get to know them as a human being. So on this side of Genesis 3 and sin coming into the world, we are all messed up. We all have baggage, okay? So love, love. God calls to love people. You, the first step in loving someone is to listen and understand them, where they're coming from. And then you can actively love them. I think for all of us in here, there is, there is some disconnect between who we feel we are and who God actually says we are, right? Like, like God says, I'm a, a loved child of God that doesn't need to look any place else for satisfaction, I don't feel like that most of the time, but that's what God says. 
And part of what we do here is trying to help what we feel line up to what God says about us. Like, we don't, get, we don't get our identity from what we feel. We get our identity from Jesus, as followers of Jesus, Christians. We get our identity from the word and his work done on our behalf. So we can empathize with people who are struggling, who are confused, who, who, who feel one way, but we think God says something different about it. We can, we can love and encourage and listen because we've been there. Maybe in a different area, but we've been there. All of us have, even followers of Jesus. We can empathize with their, with their um, confusion. And we, we, again, we don't say, hey, there's no gender. Hey, you know what? Maybe there's not male and female. No, I'm saying, this, we, we, we want to say what the Bible says here. We want to embrace the truth here that there are two genders. But that doesn't mean everything is completely, once again, easy as we apply this throughout our life. We have hope as followers of Jesus that Christ will return one day in all confusion, all heartache, all disconnection, all suffering. All of that will go away and all things will be made new and right in the new heavens and the new earth. That's our hope. We wanna spread that hope. We want other people to embrace that hope as well. And that is only done through Jesus. Prayer, love, listening, understanding. So if, 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 this is kind of, if this has kind of touched you or you, you know someone that is dealing with some of this stuff, I encourage you to listen and to love and share them with the, the hope that you have as a follower of Jesus. And I'll end with this. Um, we talked about husbands and wives, and I want to end with knowing that no one in this room is perfect. But Jesus is the perfect husband. He protects. He already dove down on the ground and took the bullets for us on the cross. He is the perfect husband. He lays down his life for us. The scripture says he sings over us if we are followers of him. He protects us. He wants what's best for us. He lays down his life for us. So he's the hero of the story, not men, not women, but Jesus is the hero of the story. And we need to remember that as we go into communion. Let's pray. God, I thank you once again for your word and on issues that maybe initially seem straightforward. Um, as we read the Bible um, in specific cultures and times and places can become um, confusing and hard to navigate and hard to know what to say when. We thank you that, again, you've provided your word, and once again, we think your word is clear, but that doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it easy to apply. It doesn't make it easy to see that truth take root because we're on this side of Genesis 1 and 2. We're all broken. We're all messed up. We all need help. So I pray as we take communion here in a second that we would see you as our source of help, not anything else, not, not a, a, a book or a therapy or a five steps to a better marriage or whatever, but you are, you are our hope. Because... We can't do anything apart from you. For your glory and our good. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.